0: Easter and in the light of the resurrection we're having a special deep gospel um, just with all the directors talking about this resurrection text and I'm really excited um, about the conversation we have so if you don't know who all the directors are I'm Haley Eccles I'm the associate director Um, we have Ty wave to the people Ty who's our associate (laughs) assistant director of operations we have Sarah who's our Assistant Director of Communications. We have Brooke, who's our Assistant Director of Community. And then we have Derek, who is our Executive Director. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm gonna ask Derek to ground us in a word of prayer and then we're going to take off.
1: Awesome friends, Let's, uh, let's pray together. Jesus, I give you praise for all that you are and all that your life brings to us. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for the victory over death in the grave. And I pray that the tide of Easter, the tide of new life, the revelation that there is a new thing that you want to do and it springs up in front of us. I pray that that would just so evident as we discuss this text today. So we just give you praise for the opportunity we get to talk openly about your scriptures, and we just love you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Brooke, will you read our passage for us?
2: Yes, and this is Mark um chapter 16 verses 1 through 8 when the sabbath was over mary magdalene and mary the mother of jesus and salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen they went to the tomb they had been saying to one another "Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And all that had happened had been commanded when they told briefly to show those around Peter. Um, And afterward, Jesus himself sent out through them, from east to west, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation.
0: Thanks, Brooke. Um, So this is a wonderful resurrection text to wrestle with in Mark, Um, and actually not the only resurrection text in Mark, but we might talk about that a little bit later. Um... So we're going to start off with what we liked Um, and I have several things I like, but since there's five of us, I know some of y'all are going to capture some of the other things. So one of the things that I like is the way that Mark sets up these women walking to the tomb, wondering about the stone. And then of course it's already rolled away. And I feel like that's really relatable to moments where we feel like something's in the way that like God's already taken care of, um, but like we're still worried about it and they're still faithfully going. And I just really like that that moment. So, and that we
2: get that background.
0: Sarah, what did you like?
3: Yeah. Um... I really like the fact that the women are the first to, like, discover that, like, the body is gone, like, Jesus is there, and that then they're told to go share the news, right? The women are empowered to go share the news. They didn't just, you know, decide, oh, I'm going to talk about it. They were told to. Now, it says that they don't, um, which I'm actually going to get into in my challenge, so I'm going to pause there, but I really like that they are told to go and find, tell people and that
0: they are the ones who find out first. Thanks, Sarah. Um, Ty, what did you like? <laughs>
2: uh,
4: mine contradicts what Sarah says. Um, I like how Jesus doesn't wait for them uh, and already has gone uh, out of the tomb uh, and in a sense to not forget about uh, them something or someone has made arrangements to let them know uh, Jesus has risen and not almost leave them behind uh, in, in the, uh, the, the resurrection and, and, and getting the information out. So in a sense, what I'm saying is I almost feel like they weren't the first, uh, but... They are the first in many ways, Um, but in a literal sense. I I read it that said, okay, Jesus already left the building, but somebody had to tell the people who were still uh, arriving to the tomb that uh, they're still part of the story. Um, And so on another level, how do I make room for the people who are behind me in the work and still bring them along?
0: that's what I liked. Thanks, Ty. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more conversation back and forth. Brooke, um, what was your like?
2: I like so many things about this passage. Um, I think that Easter story has thoroughly really become special for me in the past year, because I, I remember last Easter um, and it was just not a happy time. It was a very, it was like a very, um, uncolorful time. Um, and I remember hearing this story and trying to wrestle with this story, um, and put myself inside of it, but it was just so hard to feel that spirit of resurrection and Easter, um, in 2020. But I think I think that story has stayed with me throughout 2020 and into 2021. And coming back to it, I feel like I feel the spirit of resurrection. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I get to see people every day um, and be out and about, and I feel like things are coming back together. So it just has this resonance with me. Um, That began last year, but then I think I really feel now this year I think one of my 2020 things um, that always happens is I really like the details in the passage because I want to be taken somewhere, I want to be inside of the story, and I love all of the details and the way that this picture is so bright and easy easy for me to imagine, um, and the feelings uh, of the woman, and I just love it. I love how it feel it looks it feels like a storybook to me. Um, and actually, this is a weird thing to like, but I like that they're scared at the end, um, because fear is something that I experience rather frequently, um, and it means a lot to me that fear was also something that some of Jesus's first disciples experienced, um, And I think I've heard it framed that they shouldn't have had this fear and that this fear like got in the way of what Jesus was doing. Um, But it still comforts me to read that that's their response to Jesus, because that's also often my response to Jesus, to God.
0: Thanks, Brooke. Um, Derek, what did you like?
1: So I actually like the fact that the women were coming to the tomb with spices to anoint Jesus's body, which is just this signal of this larger tradition and ritual around death. But the, the thing is, for me, and, and in some respects, this is a um, uh, in opposition to often what we talk about of, of like um, people don't realize that you know, the the folks in the story don't realize that. God has done a new thing and so, um, you know, they need to be sort of awoken out of their, sort of the way things have always been and and awakened to the resurrection. But actually I personally love that the women in the midst of so much sorrow and pain of losing their leader and their friend, weren't so paralyzed with grief that they couldn't continue, to do the thing they know they should do. To me, there's something powerful about the fact that they were going to do the thing they knew that they could do that they should do according to tradition. They weren't going to be locked in a, in a room somewhere out of fear. And I hear, I hear what you're saying, Brooke, but I, 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 I love it that the women are like, it, it's, it's horrible that we've lost our leaders. Tradition tells us that on the third day we're gonna go anointed. So we're gonna go anointed. And we'll think about the the tomb being moved and all of that later. We're gonna go do the thing that we know we should do. And I guess for me, I just really appreciate that in the moments of grief, the ways that we have these customs that allow us to grieve, that actually the actions themselves allow us to grieve. And I think though they didn't get to anoint his body. Um, and I'm grateful that he wasn't there. And I know this is so counter narr- counter narrative, but I just bring like, had he still been dead, I think the women would have found hope in their grieving practices because that's what they have been given. But also it's because they were going to do the thing they knew they needed to, they got to be the first ones to get the revelation. And I think there's some kind of connection there. There's a connection of of not being paralyzed by grief, but being moved by grief, that they do the thing that they know they should do in that moment. And in doing that, they are the ones who get the revelation. There's something so beautiful to me about that. And I know people should just come at me for always having these random angles. I'm in my car today, so come at me. I'm driving down 95.
0: <laughs> now, I want to have such a, a deeper conversation about kind of the place of fear in this passage. One, because what to Brooke's point about kind of being immersed in the story. And there are a lot of senses and smells and ways that we can get connected. I think one of our disadvantages to reading resurrection stories is we know what they're going to find. Like, because we've read them so many times, we're not surprised anymore. And so recovering that sense of fear, I think gives us a chance to recover what it's like to read it for the first time again, what it's like to be surprised again. Um, We were talking on After the Live last week about Allison telling the resurrection story to her two-year-olds. And we were talking about the fact that two-year-olds, you know, like cognitively cannot understand like atonement theories and why Jesus would die and what's happening. But they did understand that when she said, he came back and he was alive again that she had a two-year-old who was like, that doesn't happen. (laughs) And it's like, you're right, it doesn't happen. It's not what you can expect. This is part of the surprise. Um, And I think that what we have fear at play that we aren't talking about, which is the fact that the women get up early and they go to the tomb, they go to the place where there are Roman guards, they go to the place where um, they're going to be associated with someone who's just been killed while the rest of the disciples are still hiding out and still wondering if the coast is clear and wondering if there's been enough of a cooling off period. And some of them have denied Jesus and have distanced themselves from Jesus. So I, I think that like that's an important fear to kind of capture in the text as well.
2: I do want to clarify, um, I do think anxiety is all throughout this passage and I'm also here for anxiety. Uh, that's, that's good to know that people experience, um, but the specific fear that I'm thinking of is at the very end. Um, So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. Um, And I really enjoy, yeah, I enjoy adding that flavor to Easter because I think Easter is so sanitized. um, And it's just so happy. And there's bunnies. um, And it's just like so joyful. But they were terrified, according to this account. And I think I would be terrified, too. Um, And I think that just adds this real element to Easter, a reminder of, like, I think it's scary to follow Jesus. Like, I think that there is an element of jumping and not knowing if you're going to be caught um, to following Jesus and going on this journey. And I like that this is incorporated into the Easter story, um, at least in this account. Um, Cause these are the women that I think stayed with Jesus through his crucifixion, even though some people, like these women stayed with Jesus through that. Um, but then they also ran away from the tomb because that was too much. And I just, I think that's really interesting.
0: I think so too and I think this reaction I would love for um Sarah if you'll start off with your challenge about that kind of reaction and what we see happening in the text or at least I think that's where you're going because you kind of hinted to it so.
3: I mean
0: we'll
3: see um we'll see if I wind up where you're wanting to but I do want to say I I really appreciate all these points about the anxiety and the fear around Jesus and following Jesus um I love Jesus Christ Superstar. It's a musical. If you haven't seen it or listened to the soundtrack, you should see it or listen to the soundtrack. But there's a line in one of the songs and Judas is singing and he's like, listen, Jesus, do you care for your race? Don't you see we must keep in our place? We are occupied. Have you forgotten how put down we are? And it talks about, you know, there's like fear in this It's Like we're getting too loud. We're getting too much. Like people will hurt you. People will hurt all of us if this gets out of hand. And so if that was, for some people, the level of anxiety, there, that, I think Judas felt a lot of that anxiety. Um, and then, you know, Jesus dies, and like, it's like, okay, well, maybe he's about to become a martyr. Maybe this will all fizzle out now. And then you find out his body is gone. Like that is, that just reignites. If you like felt any relief and maybe like that things are going to calm down now that Jesus is, dead, that's all gone now. And you just don't know where you're headed at this point. Um, so like, I truly really appreciate us having that conversation. Um, but my, my actual challenge with the passage um, has to do with like some sort of the dissonance of it and that, you know, it says that the women didn't tell anyone, right? But then we're talking about it. So clearly they told someone at some point, like eventually this came out, right? Eventually this came, or I actually, part of me thinks because some accounts say they went and told people right this account reads like it has a little bit of a misogynistic narrative to me in some ways like in fact that they're like you you know they didn't they were too afraid they didn't tell anyone like da 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 and who's gonna roll the stone away like oh women can't roll the stone like maybe you needed lots of people to roll the stone away i get it but like other people aren't pointing all this out right and then in Luke, like the women go and tell the apostles and they're like oh this nonsense like Sometimes I just think when men write our Bible, they say things, and I'm like, that doesn't feel like super, like, I think you missed the point a little bit, um, <laughs> and so, like, that's, I guess, my, like, grappling with the passages. I'm like, there's this difference, and in some cases, the women say things, and other ways, they don't, and then sometimes the men are dismissive, and then it just, it rubs me the wrong way at certain points, to be quite honest.
0: Tell us how you really feel, Sarah. Just tell us exactly how you feel. That's what we need in all of our deep gospel episodes. Um, Ty, what is your challenge? Um, And if it does connect, because I know you had this idea around Jesus, we can continue that conversation as well.
4: Um, I I think the challenge is realizing that Jesus has kind of whipped things into shape to really um get rid of anybody's distrust that they have still um i think all throughout jesus's time on on earth prior to the crucifixion whether people or not i mean stories in the bible of people denying jesus and being unsure i interpret this as a challenge that says jesus's resurrection in this moment not waiting for anybody to arrive at the tomb for him, but him already being gone is saying, all right, I'm done with your timeline, I'm on mine now, because this is the only way I'm gonna alleviate any distrust that you have in me um, to gain your complete trust. Um, hence the fear uh, that the the women had when they arrived at the tomb, um, obviously, there's not enough trust there because they don't know what the plan is, even though it's been told the whole time. Um, So that's, that's a, that's a surface level layer. I mean, there's a lot of deeper ways to go in and justify the fear, I believe, but just from the way I read it and how I interact with the passage, I believe the challenge here is that Jesus, we're on Jesus's timeline now, and we have been given all the information, and now we need to We need to grow up with the information we've been told and start trusting it because now is the time to move forward with with it and spread the word. Um, So that's a case in point. I could probably bring other perspectives into it, but I think overall that's what the challenge is to me is whatever distrust I have um, in believing in Jesus, I need to know the information is all there for me.
0: I really appreciate it. I know that trust is often a theme um, for you and kind of reading different passages and seeing kind of faith play out. But I also wonder if the reaction that seems distrustful would have been the same if in this telling, Jesus had appeared versus some man in a white robe that they didn't know. Um, I just think it's very interesting. We have a lot of different accounts of what the resurrection was really like. And this is one of the few where the women don't actually see Jesus or even something that is labeled as an angel, but just like a guy (laughs) In a white robe, and just kind of what what peace comes from like actually encountering Jesus. Um, yeah, if anyone has any other thoughts on that, I just think that it's interesting that it's not Jesus.
1: You ready for my challenge? I are think my turn. Is it my turn? You go. Cool. I didn't know if are other people were going to like comment on what Haley said first before I hopped in, but it actually segues really nicely. Um, so, are we cool for me to go? I can't see all the screens, because I'm on my phone in my car, I'm sorry, alright, so here's my issue, here we go, my issue and actually it's, it's what Haley talked about, I don't mind that it's, it's some angel dude or some dude dressed in white, I mind that it's one, because this is Mark's costume, Mark is the one who's like supernatural and all like things and like casting out demons and voices coming out of heaven there me be one dude dressed in white, and, and the problem I have is that um Luke gives me, isn't it the Luke gospel that um gives me the, the glory to God in the highest when Jesus is born and like the, the, the bunch of angels and Matthew's got a bunch of angels, and like and 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 they, the ladies are not afraid of the guy, they're afraid because of like Jesus not being there. And I would just really have appreciated like a huge, like, choir of angels coming to hang out at the empty tomb. I I just feel like that's what the empty tomb deserves. And, and so that, and this is a softball, definitely. This is a softball conversation. But for me, I just wished that the resurrection hadn't been such this anticlimactic, Kind of moment. I do wish the resurrection had the same kind of um, just fantastical experience that the birth of Jesus had. So it eventually will, begin, you know, we are going to have Ascension Day, which is my favorite liturgical holiday, and we're going to have Pentecost and all kinds of, But again, I just think that this story would have been, like, real cool. If the ladies had gotten up there and there's this like huge choir full of black angels just going for it because Jesus is alive like that I would have been here for that part of the text so that's my issue just one just one Then I thought we got just one
0: well I think I'll have something to add to that but I'm gonna let Brooke share her challenge first and then I'll add mine
2: yeah, mine is really similar. Um, so I think I've mentioned before that I like thinking about my theological aesthetic. So there are some things when I read the Bible, I'm like, that fits with my theological aesthetic. Like I can, you know, it just it just fits nicely in my head. Um, and then there are other things that don't fit nicely in my theological aesthetic. Um, there are a few things in this passage that don't fit nicely in my theological aesthetic. Um, I'm not saying I don't think they happened or that I don't believe in them or I don't think that they're important. They just don't fit nicely in my theological conception. Um, And one of them is this young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side um, and it's just so random. Like, I'm not sure, is this an angel? Anytime someone wears white in the Bible, it just bothers me because I'm like, why? Um, like, I, ju- I just heard the transfiguration last night. Why Why? Why does Jesus' clothes become white? And I guess I don't, I don't even know. Um, so that throws me off. And then the last sentence, part Y of verse eight, I really wanted to leave it out, but, and afterward Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. There's just a bunch of words in there that don't fit my theological aesthetic. There's I'm okay with sacred. That's a good word. Imperishable. I don't quite like that word. I mean, I agree with the concept of the word. I just don't like the way it sounds. Imperishable proclamation. I love the phrase eternal salvation. but I don't like that we have to say them. And that that's just, that's really complicated. That's just how I feel about it. But there are some parts of the Bible, and especially in these traditional stories where it just gives me a feeling that isn't in alignment with other feelings that I have about God. And those are just some of the words that make me feel that way.
0: So this is gonna go really well with with all of my challenge because my challenge is about the ambiguity of the ending. Now, I have a a study Bible, which says that the passage that Brooke just read, this ending um, that Jesus sent himself out through from the east to the west, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation, that most scholars believe that there's no way that sentence was in any manuscripts before the fourth century. Just like, you know, so around the time people are having these councils and they're deciding what actually goes in the canon and they're deciding, like, when we say um, the Apostles Creed, you know, is it from the father and the son or just from the father, like all of this stuff. When all those debates are happening, someone was like, oh, and this line would really round out Mark to my satisfaction. Um now, the verses 9 through 19 are believed to be earlier, but can't be found in the earliest manuscripts. So like we've been able to find them as early as like second century. So they may be a little bit more reliable, but they are also not known in like the most reliable Greek things. So enjoy that little short history lesson for me to add. I believe all of those things are missing the point of Mark. I think the challenge of Mark is that the women leave Jesus isn't there. You go find him. Jesus is resurrected and Jesus is is alive. And Jesus has um, meaning for our life today into eternal salvation. But I'm not going to do the work for you. Uh, The miracle, the excitement, like where there's going to be the large, miraculous thing happening is got to be off the page and that's challenging because like it's really nice when things do the work for you and they round out and they have a nice little bow and they're the same for everybody um but it's also I mean it's also like an invitation to gospel which is like you know a nice little segue into like hey, what are y'all's gospel implications? Um, And I'll just say that is part of mine.
1: Hey Haley, can I jump in on the gospel implication and then I'll have to duck out. Um, So my gospel implication, I I think it actually is quite similar to what you just unpacked for us, but I I think it is uh, recognizing that the resurrection is disruptive of all the things um, the things that we do with intention and that we do because of tradition and also the things that we do um, out of fear and out of grief. Um, the resurrection comes, it just sort of, and even uh, for me, like, if it's going to be profound and needs to be big and fantastical and the resurrection comes, It just like I don't really care what you thought the playbook was. It doesn't matter. Jesus is alive. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that we all we all want to be ready for the ways that the resurrection, um, um, the ways that the resurrection yeah, disrupts, I mean, and, and all of us. I, and I, and I want to say that those of us who are going to continue to observe Easter and Holy Week and... The, the whole Easter time that we do that as tradition right like we do that you know, the, I grew up in a tradition where we um, got new suits on Easter Sunday and always had an Easter speech and stuff and like the resurrection comes to disrupt that and and somehow even in that beautiful sort of this is what we've always done the resurrection comes to disrupt it and then there are those ones who are like I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore and I don't know like what is Easter and and, and and even in the age of COVID, like are we really over the pandemic or not? And like vaccines and like the resurrection comes to disrupt all of us. And and I I I do pray for holy but very uh spring oriented disruptions for all of us. And I and that for me is the gospel application of this text. Um so with that I'm gonna Jump out of our conversation and continue on my journey. And I love you all. I think that you're amazing, and I love these takes and ideas and thoughts. And um, Kaylee, you're amazing in leading these conversations for Deep Gospel. So, thanks,
0: friends. Love you much. Thanks for joining. Yay. Hi Derek. Well. I it's a bummer having to lose Derek a little bit early, but I'm really appreciative for him uh, joining us in the midst of traveling and doing so many other things. Um, And Ty, I'd love to hear what your gospel implication is. Yeah, it's
4: similar to Derek's with the disruption factor. Um, What I was saying, the challenge being that whatever reservations we have about the resurrection or, or, getting with somebody else's timeline. This, this is a moment that we're, we now have to acknowledge that we're not on our timeline anymore. We're on somebody else's. And uh, at the root of it is a disruption because that's how it came about. And um, wherever you are in the story or at least the characters in the passages uh, to how you can apply that today um, to something that's tangible for you, um, or something that, that clicks with your brain and your thought process. To be able to define to the disruption, define what its worth is and in it being a disruption and how um, we can align to it and or uh, reconcile with it to to be OK with its its place in, in life because it's here and it's not something uh, we can do about it.
0: Thanks, Ty. Um... Brooke, what was your gospel implication?
2: Um, Well, I thought my gospel implication at first would be thinking about telling, because they're afraid to tell about Jesus. And especially in Bible and breathe, we've been thinking about how do we share who Jesus is? How do we share that with people? Um, and we're going into our series. I think it's Jesus's life. Um, I love that phrase. Um, but thinking about like how Jesus's story is wound up into our own story of coming to life, um, and I do think that's important. But I, um, I feel called into like the basic gospel implication that I'm usually called into, um, which is how do I get more fully inside of me and all of those things. How do I get more fully on board with all of the things that Jesus is doing in the world? Um, how do I make Jesus my center? Um, and I'm thinking especially about the faithfulness of the woman in showing up um, and being afraid, but then still going back and telling Um, telling Peter and the others um, how can I not let my fear and my emotions and the things deep inside of me that make me cautious of following Jesus how do I not let those things get in the way of me jumping on board with what Jesus is doing and stepping into all of the things that I feel Jesus calling me into
0: Thanks Brooke. Yeah. Um, these are really great gospel implications. I think, you know, kind of where I left off from this idea, it's uncomfortable for a gospel to end on. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they're afraid. Period. The end. (laughs) It's just like, you know, um, it makes sense to me that it would have inspired some sort of gospel type fanfic to try to figure out how do we round out this story, right? Like, how do we um, figure out what happens next? And I think that that's the gospel implication or the invitation is how, how am I supposed to end this story? Like, how am I supposed to encounter Jesus? How am I supposed to um, continue a relationship with a risen Jesus? Um, How do I deal with um, the fear that surrounds, like, not being able to control the disruption that comes from that? How do I handle um, learning to trust um, a Jesus that is wholly different from maybe what I expect sometimes um and so I think it leads to a lot of really good questions but ultimately they come in this invitation to continue the story that the story isn't over that it ends in this kind of open note because like the story is still being written and I think that that's important um so I'm going to ask Sarah to share her gospel implication and um, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, I really, I love the point about, it's like an invitation to continue the story, right, and keep telling the story. Um, and I think like what really stuck out to me as like a gospel implication for this passage is that we don't get to gatekeep who tells the story. Like, people who were invited to share the story are women who are like social, political, religious outsiders in a lot of ways at that time, right? And I think whether they told the story or not, like because there are varying accounts of that, they were invited to tell the story and they could choose to tell the story or not. Um, And I think that's like a call for us not to gatekeep who tells the story and to invite social outsiders to be a part of telling the story of Jesus, and I think Jesus wants that, because to Ty's point at the very beginning about how, and Ty, I might butcher your point a little bit, so I'm very sorry if I do that, Um, Jesus had already gone, Jesus went first, right, and he kind of left like this, hey, here's how you find me, here's where, you know, like, here's what you need to do next, like, Jesus was the first, to Ty's point, and Jesus was the first, but the people he invited to come right after him were not the elite powerful people right they were the people who were just a little on the outside but taking part in a grieving ritual of putting these spices um, and whatnot on his body and then they clearly talked about this at some point like for it to be written about and and certain accounts went and directly told about it and then they led the rest of the church on the way you know then I think it's like Peter in some accounts shows up and then goes and tells other people, right? Like, in a lot of ways, I think the people who the church tries to dismiss or society has traditionally tried to dismiss, Jesus calls out to and invites those people to help lead the church forward. And so I think that's like part of the gospel implication for me. Um, that's living into a difficult moment. Um, for the church to be that humble to recognize that, for us to allow that sort of disruption in the church and encourage that sort of disruption, and for the people who are leading to disruption, it's a lot of bravery and courage and honesty, and it takes a lot, and so I think there are a lot of layers to that, but that's sort of where I wound up at the end of all of you words and the scripture. So.
0: Well, I really love it. I love... Um, Getting to reflect on this passage and um, this little gift, uh, since we are recording in the middle of Holy Week, of a reminder that resurrection is coming and it's currently a rainy day and it's been one of those days where the reminder of resurrection is welcome, even if it comes with some disruption and anxiety and fear um, and even a call to, like, do something about it. So... Um thank y'all again. And Sarah, would you close us in a word of prayer? Absolutely. Um, dear Jesus, thank you
3: for your life and your love for all of us, for your resurrected power and the gift that you have given to all people um, through that resurrection. Thank you for this wonderful time together. Um, we've been able to unpack some of the story of the resurrection and reflect on the things we liked about it and the things that were hard about it and the ways you think you're and we think you are inviting us to continue the story in your name we pray amen
0: amen well thank you everyone and i hope you'll take this invitation And go out and do with it whatever God has you do this week. So until next time, blessings and bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Gospel. Deep Gospel is a weekly conversation and ministry of Campus to City Wesley, a multi-site campus ministry serving college-age young adults in Northeast Florida. To find out more about worship gatherings and other ways to connect to our community, check out campus2city.org.
2: You can also support us by becoming a Patreon supporter. Until next time, blessings.